2: Good morning everyone and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Today is Tuesday the 31st of January 2023 and it's 7am. My name is Fung and in the studio we've got Carnegie, Jasmine and Ivka. Good morning.
1: morning. Morning. Morning.
2: How was everyone's weekend? It's good. Um, Not as warm as I would have liked, but, yeah, really good.
0: It's cold. Yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be for the next week.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we will – I don't know about you guys, but I was really getting used to those 30-degree days, going swimming. Yeah. Um, Well, have we got any cold weather activities (laughs) planned for the week? Well, I am going to go watch a
4: less than three-hour-long Bollywood movie. which is rare for Bollywood. Three hours is kind of like the average time. And so I was like mentally prepared for the three-hour mark. And then I looked it up today and it's two and a half hours only. (laughs) So I'm really excited. I haven't watched a Bollywood movie in like the theatre for so long.
2: Do you know what's the premise of the movie?
4: Um, I don't know and I don't care. It's um, my favourite Bollywood actor, Shah Rukh Khan's big comeback. So it's like a big action blockbuster. It's probably going to be so bad but I don't care at all.
2: That sounds fun. Yeah. Then you'll have half an hour of free time that yeah. you had planned. exactly. For a movie. What do I do with it?
0: <laughs> I feel like, yeah, this weather is so nice for all the indoor activities over summer, like galleries, films. Yeah. Yeah, Ivka saw a three-hour film.
1: <laughs> yes, Triangle of Sadness. I do recommend, but... Prepare yourself when you're going in that it is going to be three hours long,
2: <laughs> I did not. <laughs> yeah, the surprise three hours is <laughs> always a bit hard to take when you're sitting in there. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so coming up on today's show, we're going to start with um, an interview that I had with Rani and Josephine, who are from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health and uh, the National Toolkit um, a national education toolkit for um, female uh, genital mutilation or cutting awareness leadership program, respectively. And uh, in this discussion, we talk about the um, communities here in so-called Australia who aff- are affected by FGMC and um, the supports that are needed to um, yeah, provide assistance to girls and women here. And then we're going to play a teaser clip from their upcoming podcast, um, which was uh, produced in collaboration with 3CR. Uh,
4: And then at 7.45, we're going to speak with Robin Matthews, who is a research midwife at La Trobe University. Um, Late last year, she led uh, a survey and some research into working conditions for midwives here in Victoria. Um, So we'll be hearing from her about why you know working conditions have been so unsafe for midwives and hopefully um, findings from the report that can remedy that situation.
0: And at 8am we're going to play you a clip from the Indigenous Rights Radio so Letitia Peterson talks about how Indigenous women transfer knowledge and customs.
1: And then at 8.15, we're going to have Liz Jones joining us in the studio. Liz Jones is the uh, Artistic Director at La Mama
2: Theatre who is stepping down after 50 years. So that's our show for this morning. We'll be back with the news headlines right after this message. (laughs)
5: 3CR is a community
6: radio licence holder. What you hear on community radio is governed by the community radio codes of practice. The codes of practice cover matters relating to program content, including local content, news, current affairs, Australian music content, programs for children and the responsibilities associated with broadcasting by and for the community. They also cover aspects such as community access and participation in how 3CR operates. Copies of the codes are available from our website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash who we are.
4: Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. For our news headlines this morning, there has been a call for the Nazi salute to be banned in Victoria. Victoria. Um, This has come after a spate of incidents across the state where um, white supremacists are performing the Nazi salute in public. Um, The incident that most strengthened the push to ban it was um, at an indigenous mourning ceremony in Coburg on Invasion Day, which also happens to be uh, a day before International Holocaust Remembrance Day in Australia. The campaign is being driven by Holocaust survivors who have said in a statement that the Nazi salute celebrates Hitler's monstrous legacy and the indescribable crimes committed by his regime, and has no place in Victorian society. The Victorian government banned the swastika last year, which was meant to be a step towards addressing the surge of white supremacist ideologies, but an extremism expert has said that this could actually be a factor in neo-Nazi groups becoming more active. The state government is considering the ban, while the shadow attorney general says existing laws in Victoria should be sufficient to deal with this conduct. Um, I just wanted to um, talk about something that happened to me recently. So on invasion day, I was um, walking through Footscray with my partner, who's white, and uh, I was wearing a T-shirt that said no room for racism and was stopped in the street by an older white man who performed the Nazi salute and told me about um, white rights. So I do feel like, you know, I've lived in Footscray for years now and um, lived, you know, in Victoria for 10 years and in Australia for 15 across different states. And I feel like that's never happened. Um, And two of my friends in um, the West as well, also um, Indian background, had something similar happen to them on invasion day so there seems to be a bit of a pattern here and i do feel that they are being emboldened and um yeah i think that this is quite timely
2: In other news, um, a group of First Nations people who spent almost three years in limbo without any basic human rights since the High Court ruled that they could not be deported uh, have been granted special purpose visas allowing them to work, access Medicare and travel internationally. Um, however, the group, um, some of whom have spent years in onshore and offshore immigration detention prior to the court ruling in February, 2020, still don't know how their citizenship claims will ultimately be resolved, um, one person in the group, Daniel um, jimaba who is a 58-year-old Torres Strait Islander, um, who was born in Papua New Guinea, uh, spent over two years in the Yonga Hill Immigration Detention Centre in WA. Um, he was released following the High Court ruling, but like others, had been living stateless as a quote non-alien non-citizen until uh, the Albanese government's decision to allow 19,000 refugees to stay. Um, at the end of December last year. Um, so according to the Department of Home Affairs, they've confirmed that the special purpose visa, um, these visas were a temporary solution, but could not provide any more detail about how the affected people would transition to citizenship and whether a new visa type would need to be created. Thousands
4: of sick Victorians have gathered at Fed Square in Nam on Sunday to vote in a non-binding referendum on the creation of an independent Sikh state. The voting was disrupted by pro-India supporters waving national flags who are known to oppose the move, um, resulting in a scuffle between the two groups where at least two men were injured. Sikhs for Justice is a US-based group spearheading the non-binding referendum. They're proposing a new state called Khalistan for Sikh Indians, which would take in the Punjab regions of northern India and Pakistan. As well as other North Indian states. Um, Many Sikhs assembled on Sunday said that their religion had not been respected in India since the country was partitioned in 1947, with Punjab being split between India and Pakistan. Um, A coroner has found that the Victorian bail laws are incompatible with the Charter of Human Rights through his findings into the death um, in custody of Indigenous woman Victoria. Nelson or oh, Veronica Nelson, and has called for urgent change. He has said that the bail act has a discriminatory impact on First Nations people, especially women, resulting in grossly disproportionate rates of remand and custody. The most egregious of which affect alleged offenders who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander women, and particularly Koori women. Um, the 2018 Burke Street killings brought about the most recent changes to Victoria's bail laws which has doubled the number of Aboriginal women being held in custody.
0: A top official from Australian mining company Rio Tinto has apologised after losing a small radioactive capsule somewhere in Western Australia. Rio Tinto said the missing capsule was lost by a contractor who was transporting it to Perth. A search is now underway to locate the capsule. Emergency WA has declared a general hazmat warning for the contractor's entire travel path. This is from the Pilbara region in the northern parts of Western Australia to Perth metropolitan area, which stretches over 1,000 kilometres. While the safety risks are relatively low, there still could be cause for radiation burns or sickness if a person was to come into contact with it. The misplaced capsule contains a radioactive substance, uh, which is used in mining operations. The lost capsule is tiny, smaller than a five-cent piece coin, is round and silver. Emergency WA says if you see something that could be the capsule, you should stay at least five metres away and not touch it. The federal government has released its new national cultural policy with $286 million in new funding. It includes new national bodies for music, literature and First Nations art local content requirements for streaming services and some steps towards an improved pay, improved pay and conditions. The federal government funds arts directly via grant bodies such as Australian, the Australia Council and Screen Australia and via cultural institutions like the ABC or the National Gallery. It shapes the economic context in which art, artists operate, for example, by funding training courses and setting copyright laws. It's also responsible for cultivating and promoting Australia's cultural legacy by funding museums, libraries, and archives by commissioning diverse work.
2: Those are our news headlines for today. Uh, we'll be back with a song right after this.
5: Check out my new music show, The Vibe Consultant, starting on the 2nd of February. For all things music, different themed episodes, and what's going on locally in terms of music. Art and culture. Tune in every Thursday at 3 pm.
2: Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. And just to reiterate that message um, from Elysium, they've got a new show out on 3CR. It's called The Vibe Consultant, and you can catch them at 3 pm every Thursday uh, for lots of tunes across different genres.
0: Next up we're going to play you a track by Salt, a British music collective that make up a mixture of R&B, house and disco. This is their track free from their 2020 album Rise. Was salt with their 2020 track free.
2: The Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, or MCWH, is launching a new podcast series on female genital mutilation or cutting, uh, known as FGMC, to mark the International Day of Zero Tolerance for, MG, for FGMC on the 6th of February, 2023. In Australia, there are no consistent guidelines related to culturally responsive and trauma-informed care for FGMC, and those impacted by it can experience further stigma and shame when engaging with the healthcare system. The podcast series was co-created with women who graduated from the inaugural National Education Toolkit for FGMC Awareness, or NETFA, Leadership Program, which is coordinated by MCWH. Rani Promesti, a Senior Project Officer at NetFa, and Josephine Sheriff, NetFa Leadership Program participant, joined us on the show to speak about the podcast series, the impacts of FGMC on communities in Australia and what is needed within our healthcare system to support girls and women affected by this practice. And just a content warning, warning that we do talk about FGMC in this next interview. So, my name is
7: Rani Pramesti. My pronouns are she, her, and they, them. And I'm joining you all today from Wurundjeri country in um, so-called Melbourne. Uh,
8: My name is Tristri Sharif. I'm joining you from the Ghana land today, Um, precisely Adelaide.
2: Thank you both so much for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast. Dani, can you start by telling us more about um, MCWH and NETFA, respectively? Mm. So MCWH
7: is the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, and we are a feminist organisation for migrant and refugee women uh, working to achieve equity in women's health and wellbeing. And NETFA is one of the projects that MCWH um, coordinates, and it stands for the National Education Toolkit for Female Genital Mutilation or Cutting um, Awareness. NETFA's activities can be summed up into three things. So firstly, we are a national resource on our website, um, netfa.com.au. We're also a national network of partners. So basically, MCWH works with organizations uh, across Australia to support communities affected by FGMC. And then finally, um, last year, we launched our inaugural uh, national leadership program, supporting leaders
2: such as Josephine
7: um, from communities affected by FGMC.
2: Thank you for that, Rani. Josephine, according to uh, the World Health Organization, more than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone FGMC in countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia. Um, What does it look like in an Australian context more specifically?
8: Well, in my own opinion, um, it's different here for me. It's different because there is a law that's guiding everybody that comes into Australia that FGM is, is illegal here. So again, to talk about it in another in that context in Australia, it's difficult for African people to talk about FGMC. It is is it is a taboo, And there's a lot of stigma around that. If for example, like right now, if ev anyone that knows me and hears me on the radio talking about FGMC, I can't be in trouble. Uh, people might gossip me or like oh look at Josephine on the radio talking about FGMC so that's that's what we uh, that's what we encounter in the african community that's what i can say about the african community i don't know for the other community especially the community where i am from I can't talk for all all other community, but it's it, it can't be like the same because it it's the t- the topic is very very challenging. You cannot just attack somebody, and it's not easy for people to come just come out like that and just talk about it. But in Australia, I think it's there is a bit there is a vast difference because it's free to talk about it. But we are not aware of it that it's free free to talk about it if you want to talk about it.
7: Yes, yeah, so if I can just add as well, um, Fung, in 2019, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare um, published an estimate number of people that um, may be affected by FGMC in Australia, and um, they put that number at over 53,000 people. And um, in Australia, what is also unique is that um, obviously we have such a... Um, huge diaspora community. So the communities that we're talking about within this 53,000, they hail from African diaspora, Middle Eastern diaspora, and Asian diasporas. So um, adding on to what Josephine is saying, I think there's different um, attitudes, beliefs, and approaches you know, to FGMC yeah. in each community that's worth um, taking into consideration as
2: well. How can we, in so-called Australia, help to provide support for communities affected by FGMC that is community-led and culturally responsive. Um, Rani, you were saying that each community is so different. So how do we ensure that each community is then supported? So at
7: Multicultural Centre for Women's Health, um, we try to have a community-led community led Cultural responsive and trauma-informed approach to our work. And specifically on this issue, how we do that is we listen to the communities affected by FGMC and then support communities to lead the work um, to end FGMC and also to support people who are already affected by FGMC themselves. So the NetFA Leadership Program was an example of this where we um, collaborated with women like Josephine. um, So specifically with 12 women from really diverse communities across Australia um, and we equip the women with, uh, of course, about in-depth knowledge on FGMC, and secondly, um, different frameworks to understand FGMC. So, you know, we we talked a lot about intersectionality, um, we talked a lot about gender inequality, and then finally, we equip the women with storytelling skills, um, specifically podcast producing and also video storytelling skills. And so, then it is people like Josephine, um, the community leaders, who are leading the stories that are being told about FGMC through our new podcast series, um, the NETFA Fresh Voices on FGMC podcast series. And what this particular um, piece of work is trying to address is that often the stories that are told about FGMC um, in the Australian context, but also I've observed in the global context, are told by people who are not from affected communities. So even though they may be very well-meaning journalists, um, for example, they may not understand the nuances um, of each community's experience. So it's really important that we um, support the voices of people like Josephine who understand the nuances of what um, challenges um, her community faces on this issue. So um, hopefully that's a clear example, Fong, in terms of how we approach the
2: work. Yeah, definitely. Josephine, as um, as someone who has gone through the NETFA program, is there something that you'd like to add in terms of your role as um, as a community leader in this space?
8: Well, in terms of that, if our approach can be like targeting the community leader at first, we need to listen to them. We need to like um, consult them. So you cannot go, for example, you cannot go into someone's um or talk to F- talk to somebody about FGMC in another um in some in another community without the the uh the approval of the community leader. So the first thing you do, we need to ask talk to the community leader and in turn he will he or she will go and consult their members to see whether they are ready for that because, like, it's a taboo and it's a challenging thing. So, you cannot just, I just badge on somebody. Who I want, I want to, us to have a conversation about this because UN said this, we need to stop it. No, when you want, like, it's just like a war. If you want to rehabilitate people, you need to, when the war finishes, you need to, when you're taking the gun from people, you need to train them. You need to train the brain force, the mind. So, we need to attack there, the leaders. We need to explain to them how the impact about that, and then how we can move forward. I think that's the best way. If we don't, we will miss it, and they will not even accept us. They have the community have to give their permission to the community leader, and then the community leader need to consult us before we go into that uh, uh, community to talk about it. It's 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 a challenging, and especially if you meet uh the community leader happens to be a man and who is adamant about that is going to be another challenge as well because she he needs to understand why because he's married he has a wife or he has a daughter so so he needs to know why you want to talk to the women so that you cannot because there is a thing that the organizations are people who are separating people through this information we give families So we need to be very, very, very careful how we approach them, what we tell them, and we listen to them, not giving them instruction. We listen to them. Everything they have to say, we have to just agree and then maybe change the strategy or in a different method, how to approach them before they go to the so their community. If they don't understand, we're not going anywhere. And if with the community leader, if it's a female, she he needs to consult the female that's the leader of the women and if the leader of the there's a lot of challenge if the leader of the women doesn't want to hear about that it's not going to be except the community leader accept and except if it's somebody who's ready who's ready to advocate to end fgmc then it's it will be a smooth running for you
2: so i think what you've just said um in your in your answer there josephine you've identified a lot of challenges that can come about from addressing fgmc in communities when you think about the broader australian landscape looking at its healthcare system what are some other obstacles that girls and women face when trying to access uh, support or assistance regarding fgmc
8: well, thank you for that. In that regards, I think there are a lot of people who do not even know that there's a services exist here to help them go through that. So we need to raise a lot of awareness within the community. That could be one of the things you discuss with the community leaders, that there is a, a, a there is an access to the medical system here to assist people who have been through that practice to access so that they can just have counseling and just deal with their trauma, whatever trauma they are going through.
7: Um, again, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare in their 2019 paper. Um, they also did a literature review which found that there was a lack of knowledge about FGMC in specific health professions, including um, uh, in midwifery as well. And um, I think Josephine's podcast in particular, where she interviews um, a woman called um, the pseudonym uh, Badanya, is a really good example of... Um, uh, a health professional during a cervical screening, asking this person um, about, and I quote the scars down there mm. and this health professional not being aware of how um, it is taboo in Badanya's case to discuss um, her experience of FGMC with someone who has not undergone the procedure. Mm. And also it was not a very trauma informed approach because even being asked about it was enough to trigger um, bad memories for this person. So, um, I think there's, in terms of what I would like to see change in the Australian healthcare system, it's definitely um, at the systemic level um, making sure that education about FGMC is compulsory across all health professions and then making sure that um, there are very concrete suggestions for how to respectfully ask about FGMC in a trauma informed and culturally sensitive way. Um, Josephine touched on how. Um, you know, you make the Uh, comparison to uh, rehabilitating people who have experienced war, um, Josephine, and I know in Badanya's case, and in other people's case whose stories are in our podcast series, um, FGMC is one form of trauma that they have experienced in the broader path of their life. So how do you also hold um, that person holistically, right? Of course, there's the trauma of FGMC in some people's cases, but there's also the trauma of navigating um, a really inaccessible immigration and settlement system or navigating um, refugee camps back where where people um, came from before coming to Australia. So things like that, you know, um, in one of the podcasts with a community advocate Um, Margaret, she talks about um, the lack of uh, access to interpreters as well, where in her case, there was a friend of hers that had to go through a cesarean um, with only her husband as an interpreter. And again, that is taboo because um, in that person's case, she cannot discuss FGMC and her, you know, Genitalia with her husband, um, and that led to uh, a cesarean and um, and not an informed decision, you know, about about her pregnancy and birth choices. So there's there's a lot of very complex issues, but I think ultimately, I would like to see um, the healthcare system in Australia hold a person holistically um, as they provide care to that person.
2: Thank you for that, Rani. So, the 6th of February 2023 uh, marks the International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGMC. Uh, I understand that you'll be holding an, a webinar um, on that day. Can you tell us more about that event? Yeah, sure thing. So the Multicultural Centre for Women's
7: Health and NETFA, we are partnering with FGMAA, which is um, Female Genital Mutilation Awareness Australia, and also with Western Sydney University. And um, we're hosting a webinar where um, our partners um, at New South Wales Health and University of South Australia are also presenting their latest research um, on FGMC with communities in each state. And that's also where we'll be launching the NETFA Fresh Voices on FGMC podcast series. So um, if you're interested, you can register on netfa.com.au. The webinar will take place on Monday, 6th of Feb, um, from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. So yeah, if please, you're, you're more than welcome to come. You'll also be hearing from a couple of the NETFA leaders, um, Sara, Yousuf and Patience Afor, um, to talk a bit more about their um, experience of the leadership program and telling stories about FGMC. Can I just add one one point about the podcast? So we worked with each um, NETFA leader um, to work out what is each person's vision for change and what is their theory of change, and therefore, where does the podcast play a role within that overall vision for change? So I remember in those meetings with you, Josephine, you know, um, we talked a lot about how you wanted to use um, education to make yeah. a change with mm-hmm. newly newly arrived African people, um, African yeah. girls and women, specifically in South Australia. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, in Josephine's interview, um, there's definitely a section about um, this is where you can access resources, you know, on um, if you are, if you have been affected by FGMC, this is where you can get support. Um, And I think we also um, when once we had a clearer sense of Josephine's vision for change and theory of change, then we talked about um, who is the best fit for a person to be interviewed, and for their story to be profiled in the podcast in order to achieve that vision for change, so that African girls and women in South Australia are educated about the impacts of FGMC and the resources available in Australia.
2: And finally, after having worked on this project, Rani and Josephine, what's something that you'd like the wider community to know about girls and women who are affected by FGMC here in Australia? I know this is a very broad question, but if there's one thing that you would like people to to take away from this podcast series? Um, what would that be?
7: Well, in speaking to the broader community, I think the first thing I say is don't judge and instead approach conversations about FGMC with openness and curiosity. Um, try and find out through resources like NETFA, the reasons why FGMC is practice because they are very complex and very nuanced. And then finally, Listen to the person and the communities affected by FGMC. If you want to contribute to um, ending FGMC and supporting people affected by FGMC, it's really, really crucial that we listen to the people affected by the practice.
8: Oh yes, I go uh, I support what Ronnie said. That's why I said in the beginning, you need to talk to the consult the community leaders because they are the ones that are going to make change. So you need to listen to them and ask them what they want. Not what you want, but what they want. And if it's not in line with what they want, you need to use another approach, a strategy as to how to get them to come on board, not by force, but just respecting their wishes.
2: Thank you so much, Rani and Josephine, for joining us on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast to talk about FGMC and the up- coming podcast series that will be played here on 3CR. Uh, we look forward to learning more about this issue and hopefully um, we can speak to you again in the future about this.
8: Thank you. Thank you very much.
2: That was Rani Promesti and Josephine Sheriff from NetFA speaking to us about their podcast series on FGMC in Australia. If you would like to um, have further information on anything that was discussed in today's interview, please go to Netfa. That's n e t f a. dot au. We're now going to play for you some excerpts from Josephine's interview with Badanya, which was referenced in. Um, our discussion with Rani and Josephine, um, and we'll be playing other excerpts from the podcast series in later weeks. But here is Josephine.
7: The 6th of February is the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation, Circumcision or Cutting, also known as FGMC. This podcast is part of the NETFA podcast series by the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health in collaboration with 3CR Community Radio in Narm, Melbourne. NETFA stands for the National Education Toolkit for FGMC Awareness. And these podcasts were co-created with the participants of the inaugural 2022 NETFA National Leadership Programme.
8: In today's podcast, I will be interviewing Bandanya a victim of female genital mutilation or circumcision or traditional cutting about her experience in this practice. We will also be discussing cultural and religious beliefs or stigma that she experienced from her peer. Bandanya will not be joining us in person today. Instead, her voice will be read by a voice actor, Rani.
7: Hello, my name is Rani Pramesti. I am the senior project officer for NETFA, and today I will be reading Bandanya's story.
8: Would you like to introduce yourself to let our listeners know where you are from? Bandanya, your country, what do you do for a living, whether you're working or studying, and if you have children?
7: My name is Bandanya. I was born in Liberia escaped war in Liberia and went to Sierra Leone, and later went to Guinea to stay with my grandma and auntie. We spent a lot of time in Guinea in refugee camps before migrating to Australia in 2008. I have three children, one born in Guinea, a girl, and two boys in Australia.
8: So, Bandanya, what happened when you arrived in Australia with all the checks? with the medical professionals, especially when you became pregnant. This must be different from your first birthing experience in your home country. What was your experience with the medical professionals?
7: When I arrived in Australia, my first encounter with a health professional was when I went for my first cervical screening with my GP. That was where they started asking me about the scars down there. This question keeps coming up throughout my pregnancy journey. But I have never given any explanation of this question to any medical professional because I did not want to bring back bad memories to me. It was in the past now. Also, it is taboo in my culture to discuss female circumcision with women who have not embarked on that journey. You cannot talk to men about it either. With this fear in mind, not to talk about the scars, I sometimes feel overwhelmed, anxious, and will skip my antenatal appointment. Come to think of it, I have lost relationships because of not sharing my experience in that space. To be honest with you, I did not experience any medical doctors, nurses, or male partners asking any of these personal questions in my home country. So, this was an overwhelming moment for me. This made me feel ashamed, angry, traumatized, frustrated, negative reaction every time I think about it. Also, I didn't know whether it was appropriate to let the doctors or nurses know that this question was not going down well with me, for fear that they might refuse to look after me. This has been a difficult journey for me throughout my pregnancy,
8: you know. Badanya, I'm so sorry for that. You have been through with the medical professionals.
2: That was an excerpt from an interview between uh, Josephine and Badanya, where Badanya tells. Josephine, her story and her experience with MGM FGMC and navigating the healthcare system here in Australia. We'll be playing more excerpts from this podcast series in the next few weeks. Um, in the meantime, if you'd like to find out more, you can go to netfa.com.au.
0: We're going to play you a track now by Pip Millet. Um, she is a UK-based neo-soul singer who was actually recently here in um performing. Um, this is her cover of Try A Little Tenderness.
9: Oh, she may be weary. Young girls, they do get weary. Wearing the same old jaggy dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, but when she gets weary. try. A little tenderness Nah, 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 nah You know she's waiting Just anticipating Things that she'll never, never, never pause But while she's there waiting Try a little tenderness, that's all you got to do. It's not just, it's not just sentimental, sentimental, no, no, no. She has her griefs and care. Stop the words They all spoke so gentle Yeah, yeah, yeah. So It makes it easier Easier to pay. You are regretting, no, oh no Some girls they don't forget
10: it
9: The only their only happiness But it's all so easy All you gotta do is Try a little Tintinase That's all you gotta do You squeeze uh, Don't tease believer. Uh, gotta try a little Tintinase That's all you gotta do you got to squeeze her, uh, don't tease her, uh, devil believer Got to try to get it to 10-10-10
0: Pip Miller with her cover of Try A Little Tenderness.
4: So, Robin Matthews is a research midwife currently completing a PhD at La Trobe University. She has worked as a clinical midwife and nurse for 15 years and is joining us on the show this morning to talk about some research that she... Led towards the end of last year, um, Robin actually surveyed a large number of midwives in Victoria um, about working conditions and um, burnout in the industry, which has led to a critical midwife shortage. Welcome to the show, Robin.
6: Hey, Thanks for me on.
4: So tell us um, what led you to do this survey in the first place.
6: Uh- I did a bit of research about midwives um, in Victoria back in 2017, and we'd identified that there was a few issues in a particular organisation around how midwives were feeling. And we'd planned to do a bigger study for a few years, but had been unable to get any funding. And then uh, 2020 happened with uh, COVID and the massive lockdown. And we were hearing um, serious concerns from midwives who were working at that time about how stressed they were and from hospitals around Victoria talking about midwife shortage. So we felt that we we couldn't wait for funding, that we should just do the study anyway. So uh, we did a um, statewide study of uh, all midwives who were working in maternity services and all privately employed midwives. We surveyed all maternity services that provide any maternity care in Victoria and we also surveyed all midwifery students that were um, in a uh, midwifery course at the time of the study. So that was in 2021 from March to October.
4: And did you find there was a lot of uh, willingness to respond to the survey and people wanting to share their experiences?
10: Yeah,
6: absolutely. Blown away. Um, midwives traditionally don't, don't tend to uh, um, answer um, in high numbers to surveys and our survey period actually involved four lockdowns, two baby booms, and uh, I think a couple of hospitals are affected by um, cyber attacks as well. So um, it was a pretty rough time to actually be answering a survey. And it was a very long survey, but we had 20% of midwives um, in Victoria answer the survey. So it was over 1,000 midwives. Um, we had about a quarter of midwifery students answer and more than half of all maternity services um, managers answered the survey, so all the metropolitans and um, about half of the regional maternity services answered. So we were really impressed with how much people were willing to engage.
4: Yeah, I feel like that in itself is quite telling. You know, people seem to want to share what's going on in the sector.
6: At- and midwives in particular, and I should say managers as well there, um, there was a couple of opportunities for them to to write down their thoughts and they wrote pages and pages, <laughs> um which really meant to us that they you know they're very passionate about their profession and and they really want to get their views out there.
4: Yeah, can you uh talk to us a bit about what the main findings were from the survey?
6: Absolutely. So, what we've heard from the managers is that
4: majority of maternity
6: services do have um, a deficit of of midwives throughout Victoria. Midwives work incredibly part time, so we actually need more midwives to fulfil like one full time role, so almost two per um, per one role. Um, And we're short a minimum of two hundred midwives at the time of the survey. Um, And what they were finding is midwives were leaving, but it was the midwives with quite considerable experience and they were either retiring or um, they were leaving for better work-life conditions. Um, The midwives themselves um, told us that they had quite high levels of burnout, um, that they were concerned about the skill mix of of, um, where they were working, um, and that they they felt that um, a lot of them, about 40% were thinking about leaving the profession.
4: That's a pretty high percentage. Um, the report also talks about occupational violence and bullying in the sector for midwives. Can you tell mm. us a little bit about what this looks like?
6: Yeah, so about half of midwives had experienced occupational violence in the 12 months prior to the survey. So that was from um, patients or um, patient partners, families. Um, and about a quarter of midwives had experienced workplace bullying. So from, from other staff members or their managers. Um, which is concerning. It is a little bit higher than um, than in uh, public health in Victoria. Um, so there's definitely some room for improvement within um, services that w- we could be working on protecting midwives to make them feel safer.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Has your experience been similar as well as a midwife?
6: Um, no, I would say I, I've, I've never experienced workplace bullying personally um, and uh, I have... I have experience occupational violence at times um we do focus quite a lot on on the women and so i do wonder if sometimes we we put up with a little bit too much to to ensure that the women get the care that they need um so that is something definitely i think has improved um in my few years of, of working as a midwife
4: um Yeah, you're touching on, you know, an important part of this, which is that midwives are actually there for the the women who are birthing. Um, You know, how does this lack of midwives and burnout in the profession impact, you know, women who are giving birth? And, you know, um, how does it impact kind of birth trauma and um, navigating, you know, the medical system, which is difficult at the best of times?
6: Yeah, I think it does have some impact. I I do want to say, though... Majority of midwives actually said to us that they really love being midwives and that they give everything to the women and that part of their burnout and part of their stress is that they can't give them the most absolute best care, um, which is why they want to be midwives in the first place. And a lot of that is around continuity of care. So having the same midwife look after you throughout your pregnancy um, and I think when, when we aren't able to give that to women that they don't have that continuity, that they don't have access to midwives, that's when things sometimes can go, um, can go wrong. Um, certainly a third of our midwives um, are thinking of leaving the profession because of um, experiencing a traumatic event or witnessing a traumatic event at work. So occupational trauma is, is happening to the midwives, is, um, sorry, <laughs> obstetric trauma is happening to the midwives as well as um, to the women. So there are certainly things that we need to
4: do around that. Yeah, and um, the common thread here is that, you know, a lot of these people are, in fact, women. And um, this is something we touch on this show often, which is that when it comes to women in the medical system, you know, professionals included, um, as you say, midwives are in the profession um, to help women, and that's that's what they're there for, and that's the reason they're leaving, because they feel they're not being able to provide adequate care. Um yeah, I just find the link interesting that it's primarily women that are being impacted.
6: Yeah. So, so the majority of women we look after, they're, they're very healthy and well. <laughs> and sometimes this is the first time they've actually been involved in healthcare because most women don't actually need to you know, go to hospital regularly or see GPs regularly because most of the time they're well. And when they go into the hospital system, they can feel that um, it's very overwhelming and confusing for them. And there is sometimes a bit of a hierarchy kind of aspect to it that the doctor is always right or the midwife is always right So sometimes they don't question what's being done to them. Um, and that's why it's really important to have midwives there that can advocate for women to support them in what they want rather than what the system wants.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, from your report, you know, what are some of the ways you can see that we as a society can combat um, this experience for midwives and make it better for both midwives and for people giving birth.
6: Well, this is this is the benefit of the midwives. Is what they ask is also what women are asking for, and um, that's that's a lot around continuity of care models. And I think we need to be really focusing our time and energy in providing those for women and for midwives. And they don't necessarily have to be the traditional continuity of care models where where, um, midwives are on call and come in for the birth. We can definitely be flexible around that and look at continuity of models where you see the same midwife throughout your pregnancy um, and see her after your birth and she comes and visits you at home as well. So these are options that that can um, reduce some of the stress on midwives but still give them the job satisfaction of working with women and still empower and advocate for women in their care as well.
4: Absolutely. As someone who's recently navigating the system, it's, um, it's so, you know, there's so much there and having, a, having continuity of care makes the biggest possible difference.
6: Certainly for, for women, um, it, it's, a, it's a definite something that we want for women who are well and healthy and everything is going well, but we also want it for women who have complex pregnancies or complex health um, circumstances because they get embedded in the system a lot more and they get quite fragmented care. Um, So if they had a continuity of care from a midwife that could bring all the threads together, that would definitely improve their outcome.
4: Absolutely. Um, And where can listeners find out more about this and read your report?
6: Yeah, so we... (laughs) We did the, the survey and realised that this information. I mean, we eventually hope to publish it in journals, but unfortunately, that doesn't make it very accessible for the general public. So we did put together a report, um, and uh, if you go to the Opal website for, uh, run by Latrobe, which is an open access, the report is there for everybody to look at.
4: Amazing. We will also link that in our show notes later today. Um, Robin, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. But thank you so much for joining us and talking us through this.
6: You're very welcome. taking an interest.
4: So that was Robin Matthews, who is a research midwife um, and has recently released um, a report on the unsafe working conditions and critical burnout experienced by midwives in Victoria. Um, we will link that in our show notes later today. So make sure you go to 3cr.org.au slash Tuesday Breakfast. We will be right back after this. So here you
6: are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijomo Umbinho Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be.
7: Join Ayan every Monday at 2.30pm on 3CR Community I Radio. Wish I knew how it would feel.
0: Next up, we're going to play you a clip from the Indigenous Rights Radio. Um, this is Letitia Times peterson talking about how Indigenous women transfer knowledge and customs. The International Day of World's Indigenous People is observed on the 9th of August each year. And last week, we played you a clip from Raylene Cooper from Save Our Song Lines against the overdevelopment of the Imadra in Borut Peninsula, Western Australia. So touching on really similar themes. Um, Songlines are integral to the way that Indigenous women transfer knowledge, um, and this clip um, discusses that.
11: Indigenous Rights Radio. Because knowledge is power. Poverty, low levels of education and literacy... Limited access to health care, basic sanitation, credit and employment, limited participation in political life, and domestic and sexual violence are all prevalent problems among indigenous women. Besides, their right to self-determination, self-governance, and control over resources and ancestral lands have been violated over centuries. Still indigenous women are ensuring that traditional knowledge is carried over from generation to generation. Language activist Latisha Peterson tells
12: us more. now I come from Uppington in Houteng. I am affiliated to the Royal House of Mpre and the It is extremely important to preserve our traditional knowledge. Without our indigenous knowledge systems, belief systems, languages, medicinal knowledge and land, our existence would be futile. Our traditional knowledge is who we are as a people or human beings and as a grouping or tribe. If we were not able to preserve our traditional knowledge orally, meaning the knowledge being passed down from generation to generation for thousands of years, we would not be able to exist for thousands of years. And we as come or San or Que, would not be the progenitors of humankind. Yes, our culture is taking a backseat to other cultures. Because they deliberately orchestrate it to be so. We must remember that the colonialists had a strategy on how they would get rid of us as the aboriginal, calm, sun, and queer people of South Africa and Southern Africa. So what they did was to implement oppressive legislations, changing of our identity, genocide, our forefathers' fought, The resistance wars, smallpox epidemics, these things were all deliberately orchestrated to diminish or depopulate the original inhabitants, so that they could be in control of our land and minerals. These other cultures or tribes are creations of British imperialism, example the Amazulu, Botswana, etc., and assisted their masters in desecrating us. It's for this reason that you find that these cultures are dominant today. They purposefully or deliberately want our culture to be assimilated into the dominant culture so that they can say we as sun and Que, do not exist and are extinct, giving them free reigns to our land and minerals. The role of woman in passing on our culture is very important. Women are the knowledge holders or carriers in our communities. They would pass on the click language from mother to child. Our son and queer culture are also a matriarchal and egalitarian society. So we are not a patriarchal society. Our women are the people that are at the forefront but it's also equal. No one is higher than the other. Women are also the negotiators. In the instance when a man wants to ask permission to marry, the man and woman's family will come together to negotiate the marriage. It is both parties' women who are at the forefront of the negotiation. We call the woman Kay Examples of how traditional knowledge is passed on by women are the coming-of-age ritual of a girl from a girl to a woman when she gets her first menstrual flow or menses. woman would be at the forefront, there would be a ums or a a reed house that would be erected and the kaitaras would be at the forefront of the ritual and passing down of how a young girl should conduct herself, now that she's become a woman. An example of my mother who passed down her knowledge of how to heal, she she originates from a long line of kaihas, so she has passed on the knowledge of how to heal from herself to us as children, and we in turn will pass it down. The languages as well, the click languages as well would be passed down from the mother to the child. So there's quite a lot that women do. Our women are also the builders of our reed mat houses and our stone houses. They erect the reed mat houses, grass houses and stone houses. That is the job of the women in our culture. So they'll erect the tara ums, the reed house or the reed mat house. The stone houses women will erect as well as the grass houses in the halakhari our women will erect. We as women erect the stone houses, the tara ums, the reed mat houses and the grass houses. That's the role of us as women in our San and kwe culture. Most of our Sun and Queer communities follow a matriarchal society. You will find here and there some tribes, probably like the Kharikwa, and are more patriarchal, but the Nama, the Sun, a matriarchal society. Kora also lean more towards a patriarchal society, but like I said, Nama, Damara, Aikom San, and son, patriarchal society.
11: For more on the rights of Indigenous peoples, visit cs.org and follow Cultural Survival on Facebook and Twitter.
0: That was Letitia Timas Peterson on the Indigenous Rights Radio talking about how Indigenous women transfer knowledge and customs.
1: DigiTube, people, place, language. Connecting stories, culture and language across Australia. Contribute your content in digitube.com.au. Sign up for a free account and select your options for streaming, download and broadcast promotion.
0: A 3CR supporter. PXFano is a Pacifica LGBTIQ plus podcast providing a platform for Pacifica communities to unpack and discuss the narratives and the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Presented by Pacific X, a collective that celebrates Pacific Island LGBTIQA plus communities and meaningful connections that honours cultural and gender identities.
6: You can catch the podcast series on your favourite podcast platform.
0: Supported
1: by 3CR and funded by the Victorian Government Multicultural Communications
0: Outreach Programme. For more information and to hear our podcast episodes, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash PXwhana, spouts P-X-W-H-A-N-A-U. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Alice Skye, a First Nations singer and songwriter who we play a lot of here on Tuesday Breakfast. She is a Wurjea woman from Horsham. In 2017, she was actually the Triple J Unearthed National Indigenous winner. And this track is from her 2021 album, I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good. This is her track, Party Tricks.
10: You, you didn't want me to. Your intentions are clearly spike My feelings for you are a joke. So why has my brain?
0: Alice Sky with her track Party Tricks. Next up, we're going to play you a track by Joy Crooks. This track is Power, uh, just a language warning. Um, there is some language in this, so if you would rather not listen, you can join us in about five minutes.
5: Don't need your permission. I don't want that disease. Looking through every finger that you pointed at me. Don't you like it so sexy? Wearing it like it's free. Dropping half-priced opinions But calling me coupon queen You've got bitches, you've got hoes We the people and we know All we want is to be accepted But you don't You've got ideas all the same I'm your scapegoat, feed me blame In the back of your mind You know you're wasting time And you're crossing lines with your Crossing lines with your power Come and spend it on You're a man on a mission But you seem to forget You came here through a woman Show some fucking respect We're your bitches, we're your hoes We're the people and we know all wants is to be accepted but you don't You got ideas all the same I'm your scapegoat feed me blame In the back of your mind you know you're wasting time and you're crossing lines with your crossing lines with your power Come and spend it on me. How, what it means to be free. Close your eyes till you can see me. Yellow polka dot bikini. That they stole off her body that day If you really want to free me Tell my mommy that she's pretty Melanin is not your enemy is the truth one condition can't kill my ambition? Not about if you like.
0: Joy Crooks with her 2021 track, Power.
5: Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori Kids Shine at Kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash dash kids dash shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.
0: A 3CR supporter.
5: Have you experienced or
9: seen racism against blackfellas? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up, be heard, call it out. Go to callitout.com.au.
0: A 3CR supporter. The Milky Way looks good in the night sky. The stars open a short. for my dark eyes. Complex. Hey, I'm Lady Lash. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, the voice of the set. 3CR is so awesome, giving the platform for people's voices to be heard and people's gifts to be heard. And always remember that you are amazing. Like
9: I'm dreaming of the seven moons.
7: Oh, I see what's new.
1: From every corner
2: of the land,
7: womankind
1: arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs.
10: rights militantly, never you fear!
3: Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security.
12: We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life.
6: Women on the line. Tune in on Mondays at 8:30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6 a.m. on 3CR Community Radio 855 a.m. Well and
1: streaming live at 3cr.org.au. La Mama Theatre located on Faraday Street in Carlton is Melbourne's home of independent theatre. The not-for-profit is dedicated to fostering artistic freedom and expression and provides opportunity for the development of new works. Liz Jones joined La Mama in 1973 after meeting founder Betty Bustle and became artistic director in 1976. After five decades at the helm, Liz has made the difficult decision to pass the torch to the next generation. Her legacy is one of unparalleled commitment to the artists, performers, staff and audiences who have made La Mama the institution it is today. Liz is joining us on the phone to chat about her time at La Mama. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Liz. Thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me. Uh, So
1: it's 1973 and you meet Betty Bustle, the founder of La Mama Theatre. Uh, What was La Mama like back then and what drew you to joining the organisation?
3: Well, I, I'd, um, I'd just come back from um, a year in, in in London and I felt very stimulated by the theatre scene there. And so I thought I'd try and involve myself in a bit, bit of theatre when I came back to Melbourne because I'd done quite a bit of theatre as a, as a student. Um, and I met um, Betty Burstall. I was actually teaching with her. Came to the theatre in, um, in March... 1973, saw a play, but the thing that really attracted me so much was the smallness, the intimacy, the intensity of La Mama, and the honesty of La Mama. Um, The first piece I saw in 1973 was a play about lesbians, an all-female cast, so there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> La Mama is known for mentoring artists, helping the development of new work and pushing for artistic freedom. Can you speak to the importance of providing space for independent expression?
3: Well, I mean, does this, doesn't it? <laughs> it? It's absolutely vital. You know, freedom of expression... Uh, a space for independent voices, spaces where people can come who, who don't necessarily have connections, mm. aren't necessarily, you know, well-resourced financially, don't necessarily have proper jobs, all of those things, people who are different. It's, it's just so important to have spaces where where, where these people can express themselves. And La Mama is a space where people can express themselves in, in, in theatrical form, poetic form, um, you know, in movement. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, I think because I believe every one of us is, has a career soul.
1: am I'm mm. very important. <laughs> um, in 2018, the iconic building on Faraday Street that housed La Mama for more than half a century was gutted by fire. There's a video on the La Mama website <coughs> excuse me, where you and your staff visit the ashes of the building post-fire, um, which I personally found incredibly moving. Can you tell us about your decision and commitment to rebuild?
3: Well, look, uh, it was just never a question for me in the sense that uh, we, we, we started to talk about the rebuild sort of within, within days of, of the terrible event happening mm. because... Um, I guess because La Mama meant so much to so many people, and that was really obvious on the day of the fire, you know. So many people rushed to be supportive when they heard of the fire, including Martin Foley, the Minister for the Arts, was there, yeah. um, you know, supporting us. It, 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 it there was so, an extraordinary feeling of how important it was and how important to reinstate it. It was. Um, yeah, so, and. You know, we raised three point five million um, in in, in, a, in a year. So we yes. built it. And I don't know if you've seen any of the photos of the rebuild, but it's very beautiful
1: now. Yes, I'm very excited to come down and see it in person. It does look amazing, and it's just a testament to what you've built and what La Mama means to the community.
3: Yes, it, yes, and, and and it is, and and, and Little Mamora inside is just the same, but but it's but but, but the the, the precinct's very been very much enhanced. So in those terms, you know, it's been sort of sort of a mixed blessing, really.
1: <laughs> yes, like a like a <laughs> phoenix. Um, <Yeah. clears throat> you may be stepping down as artistic director, but you'll still be around, La Mama. Including working on the Lost History Project, which aims to recover the stories and history lost from your diaries in the 2018 fire, can you tell us more about this project and the importance of documenting such a rich history?
3: Well, I just I'm just aware that although we have produced two books, um, that there is a lot of I guess every, everyday history that has been lost, mm. and just sort of facts. And because I've been around for fifty years, um, I. I, I know of quite a bit of that, and I feel I can I can I can look I can begin to reassemble some of that history that was lost with my diaries, and and also call up you know some, a, a whole a, a huge box of videos that were made by the ABC and the SBS and various independent filmmakers vanished, and I'll try and reclaim some of that stuff too, just to make to make this a, a, a resource available for people who want to do research on La Mama mm. and, and, you know, who want to write the definitive history or whatever.
1: Yeah, I think your point of, like, all those smaller details in the everyday is really important to keep track of. It is,
3: it is. It yeah. is, it is, it is.
1: Um, stepping down as artistic director invites new artistic voices to help shape the evolution of La Mama going forward. What do you hope for the future of the organisation?
3: Well i mean I hope that it, 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 I hope that it holds fast to to Betty's original vision of providing a space for for, for new and diverse and and you know um, voices that are uh, Yes, I guess I just hope, I, guess it, I, I hope it holds to all of those things. But I know that, that um, you know, new leadership will bring new ideas and new ways of looking at things. And I'll just be really interested. You know, I can't predict those things. I'll just <laughs> be interested to sit and actually watch the outcome and, and, and still attend that
10: beautiful theatre.
1: Yes, I'm sure you've instilled that uh, sense of freedom and expression, but going into a new generation, um, I'm sure will be very exciting as well.
3: I think it will, too. Yes, I feel quite, I do feel very optimistic. Uh,
1: All right, Liz, that's all we have time for this morning. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely talking
10: to you.
1: Uh, That was Liz Jones, the outgoing Artistic Director of La Mama Theatre. The remainder of the 2023 La Mama season has been programmed by Liz. You can check out the summer program at lamama.com.au.
6: St Kilda Festival is back in 2023 with two days of summer fun, Saturday 18th and Sunday 19th of February. Saturday kicks off with a celebration of First Peoples artists including Christine Anu, Jem Casadeli, Dean Brady and more. On Sunday, the party takes to the St Kilda streets with Hoodoo Gurus, Yothu Yindi, Confidence Man and heaps more. Free and all ages, see the program at stkildafestival.com.au St
1: Kilda Festival is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back
4: to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We have reached the end of our show this morning. Um, We started off listening to an interview that Fung did with Rani Promesti and Josephine um, from Netfa about their upcoming podcast series on female genital mutilation or cutting to mark the International Day of Zero Tolerance for FGMc on the sixth of February. Um, we will link to more information about that podcast and about Netfa in our show notes later today. We then heard a few clips um, from Josephine's interview with um, Badania, whose um, identity is being protected. Um, from that podcast, Um, and we will continue to play clips from the podcast throughout um, this month, so definitely tune in to Breakfast um, if you are interested. We then spoke with research midwife Robin Matthews, who is completing her PhD at La Trobe University and has recently done a report into the unsafe working conditions and um, extreme burnout for midwives in Victoria.
0: We then heard from Letitia Peterson discussing Indigenous women and how they transfer knowledge and customs via the Indigenous Rights Radio. And we spoke with with Liz Jones, the outgoing Artistic
1: Director of La Mama Theatre. And as
4: always, we will be back next Tuesday, hopefully with less frogs in all our throats. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Uh, so keep it locked to 3CR, and up next we have Accent of Women.
0: Tuesday Breakfast would like to thank our friends at Living Coco for their support of the program. Living Coco puts community first by respecting food sovereignty. Based in Braybrook, they create bean-to-bar chocolates, cacao tea, intentional drinking cacao, and cacao mass in bulk. A zero-waste manufacturing space, Living Coco ethically source cacao from over 130 domestic village farms in Samoa. They are at or or on Facebook and
10: Instagram.
11: 3CR would like to thank our sponsors, Earth Greetings.
2: Cards that connect, care, and celebrate. Support wildlife and habitat with every purchase. Inspired by nature, giving back to the planet. Learn more at earthgreetings.com.au
1: 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. While you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.